bowl soup. Bowl soup. Bowl soup. Bowl soup. Yeah. Sitting in bowl soup, my friend. Yep. Scrotal soup. <laughs> scrotal broth. Scrotal broth of deliciously steamed scrotals. <laughs> <laughs> someone who's got a Thomas the Tank Engine like light you know when you have those light, night lights mm. that you have when you're scared of the dark yeah yeah I've got someone's one. got one of those like Thomas the Tank <clears throat> Engine face and he's put on this little sort of robot that sticks to walls you stuck it on that mm. with, like a flat robot stuck now and you can remote control it so he's got on this face mm. and it glows in the dark so he's remote controlled it, and it like it looks like it's basically like floating around. That's a bit cool. And, and he's like got that. like the Thomas the Tank Engine music like <laughs> board behind. So it's the creepiest fucking thing. Really it's like doo, 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 doo. it's like doo, and it's moves quite fast. It's like <laughs> <laughs> they're not very nice stories either. Actually, they're all about taking the piss out. Like all the other ones, like hate the other engine until it proves itself. You know, like they're really it's really bullying. <laughs> yeah. It was written by a reverend as well. Mm. All these books, yeah. And uh, yeah, they've also yeah. in that four in that Fallout Four DLC. You know the one where you can make the robots. Mm, automatron. People have made Thomas Tank Engine mechs. Like nice. well, it's like in um, Skyrim, isn't it? The dragons. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, I think I've seen. That. And then people have made like Thomas the Tank Engine robots in real life as well. What? <laughs> like little ones, little models. Okay. With like cannons and stuff, and they've just got his little smiling face on it. We missed we missed some news that's just been announced. Apparently, Fruit Ninja to be adapted into a live action feature film. Oh, oh. my god! <laughs> Seriously. Seriously, it's what everyone wants. The world's been calling out for. Oh my god! Hello, welcome to part three of the Two Month Time on Our Hands podcast. It's five past eleven. We're all a little bit tired, so we're just going to get straight into it. Tom, take it away. Uh, so this one's quite a general um, uh, discussion, really, uh, and we thought it was probably best to go with something general because the tired we get and the later it gets in the recording process, uh, we realise that it comes down to us either gushing lovingly about something for an hour uh, or getting really angry with each other. So we figured we'd go for something that makes us all a little bit angry but might also make us gush at the same time. And that is just a general discussion on innovation or the lack thereof mm. in gaming today. Now, I am all for ranting about how there is no innovation in gaming. The score of uh, COD-style games that we have these days, the generic shooter, you're just one, you know, you've got loads of allies flooding around you and stuff like that, doesn't seem very innovative. But there is some innovation in games. There is innovation on style. There is innovation on game style. There is innovation on how things look. There is innovation in taking stuff that's been done a million times before and doing it just a slight bit different. So it's, you know, degrees of innovation. My feeling, however, at the moment, and this might just kick things off and it might take us down the billiest path, is that actually... The industry as a whole has been affected massively by the huge increase in business um, 
uh, like kind of keeping business at the front that a lot of the big developers and publishers have. I believe that a lot of the developers are pushed so hard by publishers to meet deadlines. Just a deadline, not a when's the game going to be ready, when do you think it'll all be done by, but more of a there is a deadline, there is a good selling time of year, you need to get it out by X. Star Wars Battlefront is a case in point. It was released without a single-player campaign and was purely multiplayer because it had to be launched at the same time as the first in the new trilogy of films. Is that a good thing? Does that show a lack of innovation? Does that show a lack of intelligence? Where do we begin? Where do we draw the line? Not having a single-player is not a lack of innovation. But it is. it could potentially be. Because having a single-player is something that's actually rather standard. Not innovative. Well, that's, a, that's an interesting one. But right, <laughs> right away, we're off on an interesting point there. Uh, and in terms of that, it depends how much people actually wanted a campaign. Because from what I can tell, not a lot of people did. I think, I think the forums would probably beg mm, to differ yeah. on that. Really? Yeah, because the previous Battlefronts, the, the, the one uh, Battlefront 2 before had a single-player campaign, which was you playing as one of the 501st Legion... Uh, of stormtroopers oh, fighting yeah. your way through the battlegrounds all the way up to the Hoth campaign, and it's painted brilliantly because the campaign starts with you as a cl- as a sort of a nameless clone trooper uh, in, in the Geonosis arena, um, fighting your way all the way through to Hoth, which the stormtroopers at the time they paint it as seeing it as their final victory mm. over the rebellion. They've fucking done it. They've got them out of their base. They've managed to destroy it, and now the, Re- the rebel alliance is scattered. And that's how the campaign ends, which is fantastic, because it is completely untrue, because we know, having watched the films, that actually what happens after that is shortly the, the scattered rebel fleet uh, masses near Solast and then destroys the second Death Star, which eventually sort of kind of ends that kind of story arc. <clears throat> I think there were people looking for it. I think maybe, maybe it wasn't a lack of innovation, but maybe it was them compromising innovation by going ah well we've only got so much time let's make a shallow multiplayer shooter and kind of throw it out there this isn't me this isn't me giving them a pass for not including our content Mm. because i personally believe what i can tell that they should include a lot more maps than they did a lot more modes than they did space battles which still aren't in the game from again the general consensus i got was Battlefront, my memories of Battlefront are primarily within its multiplayer mm. because that's really what most people remember it for. I'm not discounting people's want for a single player. Mm. However, I would have been more, what do you call it, appreciative of the new Battlefront if they'd included more maps, more multiplayer content, focused on that rather than trying to, for example, if they tried to hash in a single player that had been shit. Mm. Instead, focus on a really good, solid multiplayer with great content, which they haven't done because, from what I can tell, there has been a lack of of content straight out the bat. Yeah. They're trying to probably hold up other things to either release at a later date or release as DLC that you have to pay extra for. Yeah, I agree. But I also think as well that the shooter, that particular one itself, 
lacks any innovation whatsoever. There's nothing to that game. It's just, I mean, it, once you get past the whole it's it's Star Wars, and it's mm. like, it, yeah. It's, it sounds and looks like Star Wars. It's yeah, just so. It's point. just there's nothing. There's nothing to there's it. There's no substance. It's what? the standard kind of. Yeah. It's the kind of. It's. I tell you what. It's a lot like. It's a lot like Doom's multiplayer. The new Doom's multiplayer is just. There's nothing to it. It's just really no innovation whatsoever. Isn't it? There's no attempt to try and make it. The the Doom problem is, or, I think, <clears throat> modern games. To go back to the, like, you know, why aren't games innovative nowadays? If we're assuming they're not, mm. you know, we'll get to that. But I think partially it's because of the fact, like we just said, that game looks incredible. It's got a huge IP. It sounds incredible. Mm. It must have cost millions and millions and millions of dollars to make. In licensing fee. In I licensing. <laughs> in, you know, t- probably a team of, what, like a thousand people working, working on it or whatever. You know, games nowadays... Uh, compared to how they used to be, are just so ridiculously extravagant. Or when, at least I'm, when I'm saying this, I'm generalising because I'm talking about triple A's. I'm talking about the big titles that come out on yeah. Xbox and PlayStation, right? They're made for such just incredibly large budgets that they can't be little pet projects, you know, little innovative kind of fun projects where they just say, come on, let's just take a risk. You know, team of like 20 people working on a game with a vision... Let's make these games are made by a committee nowadays. Mm. Okay, so they they immediately from the off they know what sells. First person shooters sell. What sells? Star Wars sells. Mm. You know, what what looks? What do people <clears throat> like? They like realistic looking graphics. They want it to look as realistic as possible, and they're just going to make it. They're just going to make their cod clone in Star Wars. What I present to you though mm. is. The indie game market. Yes, absolutely. If you want innovative, and if you want retro, it's not even got... about retro though. No, but that's what I mean. Like you can have it both ways. And the thing is, some of these indie games are made for ridiculous amounts of money now as well. It's not even like the the indie market is, you know, this um, plethora of, of like amazing new ideas. I mean, there are some. There are some really like unique and. Uh, interesting in games, but there's a lot, vast, vast swathes of shit that just gets pumped out by indie game developers who just want to cash in. Yeah, a lot of it's this everybody's gone to the rapture is probably one of the most cynical <laughs> and overhyped examples <laughs> of indie gaming. That well, I'm more just thinking like of your Candy Crush type things. You know, there's well, that's some... not an indie game though. That's made by well, okay, you know, King, which is now a massive. Yeah, but I think the best ones kind of rise to the top because they're doing something innovative. Because indie games don't have a lot of money, don't have the backing that the AAA games do. What you've got is smaller titles that are doing something innovative tend to rise to the top and if they do something that people are interested in, take something like Superhot, for example, yeah. that's been a massive success then I think whether that's actually an indie game would be debatable, I think, as well. But And where, where, how you describe an indie game, much in the same way how you describe an indie film, is debatable. Well, it was an indie game. I mean, it is an indie game. I mean, technically, it's an independent <clears throat> publisher and developer all <clears throat> in one that put that game together. Admittedly, the price point may not necessarily be indie game for what it is. It's <clears throat> still... I, mean, it's well, I, think, I don't think indie game so. is cheap. I don't think indie <clears throat> game needs to be cheap. No, but the, any the point is indie games are forced to do something innovative yeah. to... To well, be sometimes, but sometimes they're rehashing old ideas. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes they're just repackaging old Super Nintendo games, old NES games. Well, Shovel Knight is a perfect. Well, example Shovel Knight is a 
yeah, even though it's very good, you're yes, right, yeah. it just harks back to an older era. It's not really doing anything new, it's just sort of presenting a new audience, something that older gamers will remember anyway. But that could be seen as innovative in itself. <sighs> to present. It's a bit like saying, um, what's his name, Mark Ronson, is, is like, you know, original <laughs> because he makes 60s music. Yeah, but he puts trumpets in it. Yeah, yeah, he puts sixties <laughs> sounding all, all horn to sections to yeah. music, and he's a genius, apparently. What I the question I want to present to you though, <laughs> really, is is innovation enough? Like, would no. you <laughs> prefer an innovative game to a good game? Um, no, but I would like to. I would like to see more innovation. Um, I think uh, Mirror's, Mirror's, Mirror's Edge is one of those games that um, comes back to, uh, <clears throat> not necessarily my mind, but I've heard Gernlist say it a few times. <laughs> and he's right, I do think that Mirror's Edge represents innovation in the AAA category. It can happen every time when someone makes takes a pun. I mean, while it may not necessarily be the best execution of the idea of free running in a first-person environment that has been polished to a mirror shine, with very nice-looking realistic graphics, um, no, it's got quite stylized graphics. <clears throat> mirror says, isn't it? Well, no, uh, well, no, they're, they're, it's all kind of based on a real, on a real, like looking real. But yeah, I, I, it's, it's the like anime It's like the no, the, the, the cutscenes, cut oh, okay. which again, which is are terrible, a by the way, jarring shift between the sort of realistic world you find yourself right. running in, and then suddenly the story is like all these okay. people kind of sort of speaking very quickly. I mean, for <laughs> me, Mirror's Edge is a general success story of an innovative concept mm. which isn't perfectly executed but is generally remembered as a well as a good you know a good example of innovation in gaming mm. but there are plenty of examples where innovation has been thrown out you know into there mm. but it's not made a good game necessarily <laughs> Case Agreed. case in point, you're going to hate me for this. You're going to say Star Fox Zero. Star Fox Zero. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, this is a an interesting one because I this is like a love it or hate it kind of thing. I embrace like things like this. I I I I see Star Fox's controls. Okay, so for those who don't know, oh my god, Tom is already. Oh, you're oh, no. trying to tell this. You're just trying to stealthily get a sweep. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> trying not to make noise. So Star Fox Zero. Okay, I'll, I'll explain this to Tom Dan. It, um, it's very much a nostalgic, like packaged game. Okay, it's it's almost like a reboot of Star Fox sixty four or Lila Wars as we know it over here, which is like a beloved game in the franchise. So you would think it would have those people on board, but it forces you to use a very unintuitive uh, motion control scheme. So you can um, you fly around the R wing which is like the ship that you fly. Mm. You still use your left analog stick for doing that, right? But your cursor, whereas that your movement used to be tied to your cursor, you used to fly in the direction of where you wanted to shoot, okay? Now you tilt the gamepad to aim your reticle. Oh, so God. you're flying the ship with your left That's thumb bad. and you're <laughs> twisting the gamepad to shoot. And not only that, you've got to divert your attention between two screens because on the TV screen, you have a third person... Uh, shot of the ship which often will um, go into like a cinematic mode 
where it will take it away so you can't even see where you're going because sometimes you know the ship will be flying towards the screen so you have to look down your gamepad has a first person view from the ship so you can look around so you can be flying in a straight line and look to the right out of the ship it's a really cool concept really cool idea it makes really good use of the gamepad mm. but lots and lots of people hate motion controls and some people just won't give them like a second of a chance so many people complain that this game didn't have an option to turn it off because but I think the reason why they did that is a lot of people would go into it and turn it off before even trying it I think some people are just so predisposed to kind of hating motion controls they just will not give it a chance but for me I like innovation games I love the fact that they try to do something I love that they haven't just said let's just make Star Fox 64 again like <laughs> other companies would yeah, let's, Nintendo always let's hurt and they, annoy the people that but yeah, you just said you, yeah. you don't like it when people no. just repackage the same thing. They're trying to do something different. They yeah. try to say we're going to, you know, give something like that, but we're going to do something t- something different with it. And that's what Nintendo, for all their faults, they always try, not always succeed, but they always try to. Um, if they, they make a new game, they always try and make it different from the last one. Yeah. To have a but the point is, I was asking, does the game industry lack innovation? I'm, I've never, I would never probably, I've never stand up and say that I think it does lack innovation because mm. it does what, but not all of it is good what my problem mm. with it a is a lot of it is bad what, what my <clears throat> problem with it is is this I don't necessarily have a problem with them integrating motion controls into their game because believe me I am a staunch defender of Skyward Sword's motion controls for example mm. I think they're great mm. I, my problem with that game is not motion controls my problem with Star Fox motion controls is I have played Star Fox Zero. Mm. Not for a long time, but mm. long enough to gather an idea that the motion controls do not work for me. Yeah. I would have liked the option to have turned those off. And I am a staunch believer in having options for your players. Yeah. Like having, for example, with Fire Emblem, you've got the option to play on classic mode, which allows your team members to die in battle, or you've got the option to play on casual mode, which means they don't die. Mm. No one's going to force you to choose either mm. mode. And you can enjoy it any way you like. Normally, I, I would 100% agree with you. I do, in general, agree with you. But in this game, the game is so much... I mean, you, people have talked about the lack of content in the game, and there is really a lack of content content and it is which is a problem it's a problem <laughs> but for me it's kind of made up for by the novelty of of the concept but so i like so part, a big part of the game i think and, in, and they think is using the gamepad as a motion controller that's that's kind of the, the part of the selling point it would be like, a bit like saying Wii Sports, but you don't have to play it with a Wii mode. You can just no, use but that has replayability because every time you play, you're playing with people, and therefore it's allowing replayability. This is Star uh, Fox. but with Star Fox Zero, this is another thing to make it easier for people who just can't deal with the motion controls. There is a co-op mode, so you can actually play. One person aims the reticule with the gamepad; they're like shooting. The other person with the pro controller flies the ship. So it splits up those two things that is, you know, some people complain is like rubbing your tummy and patting your head. You know, it's that kind of... Some people just can't get to grips with it. But then you're having to rely on someone else to actually play a game that you want to play, possibly on your own. Yeah. And from what I can tell from Star Fox Zero is also that although they innovated the controls in perhaps a way that doesn't <clears throat> please everyone, which they can't please everyone, mm. 
Um, the the story is exactly the same. Yeah, they they definitely they not innovated in a lot they, of other ways. You know, they could have made a nice new story. Yeah. Uh, they could have put it in a new world, in a new set, not in a new setting in terms of space, but in a new world with the same characters. But they could have had a new story, yeah. a new world instead of they using could have definitely weird done controls. a lot more in that regard because same a lot of people <clears throat> criticise the graphics as well, which are definitely like a half back to great. the N sixty four. They look great, but they are they don't look like next gen or anything. That's not the point. No, it has I its agree. Own style. I, I like the stuff. That's but... not my problem with it. I've... My problem with it, it feels like Nintendo are innovating it's, it's for innovation's them. sake. This is the problem: is that they they're caught between this um, this middle ground between pleasing people who want them to do new things, or they want to do new things, and people some people are on board with that. But they're also trying to please the nostalgic fans who don't want any innovation. But, so many people call all the time just call pleasing. out for I just want the next game in the series. I just want another to play a normal Star Wars game. Oh, so many people like when they announced Federation Force right on the 3DS. So much public outcry because it's not the traditional Metro game that we know. It's um, like a, t- a co- team-based uh, sh- co-op shooter. A bit like a, oh, I don't even know how you describe it. A bit like an RPG or something, but it's online. You meet up with like three of your friends, but you create your sort of party, and you go and shoot aliens and stuff and complete objectives. Why did they make that? Why did they make that Metroid though? What's the point? They well, could have just made a new IP. It's license. I don't know. It's just an IP. It's a way to sell the <laughs> this game. This is not it? me saying the game should exist. The game should exist. They should mm. be able to make that game. Why did they make it Metroid though? Because it looks. <laughs> Although it's got aliens in it, that's about as... But this is people's... Some people don't want to let them innovate because they're saying, but they're... don't like, don't make a Metro game unless it's the, the kind of Metro game I recognise. Unless no, it's, like, unless it's got Samus in it, unless you're alone on a planet, you're moving through it, you're working through your puzzle. Yeah. You know, and it's... there's They quoted and said, you know, the reason why we haven't made a new Metro game in X amount of years... It's because Metroid we can't think of we can't think of anything new to do. They said we, they wanted to see. Do. It's funny, really, because I'm drawn to um, kind of a parallel, but on the other side, in that they kind of obviously couldn't think of anything to do with it, but they did it anyway. Which is the Aliens versus Predator games, mm. and <clears throat> so there was one on the Jaguar ages ago, Jaguar console, which was really quite cool. You could play as the Marine, the Predator, or the Alien. <clears throat> And then that was brought back in the late 90s, I think it was, on the PC. There was the Aliens vs. Predator computer game, which was yep. excellent. Mm-hmm. Always um, wanted it. Yeah, yeah, it was so good. I bought it on the day of release. Uh, I, I went down with my mum to the shop <laughs> to buy it on the day of release. And um, <clears throat> it was so, so good. And the Marine campaign still stands as one of the scariest uh, things I've ever played because it's one of the genuinely the only games that I've played recently, well, in recent times, that had aliens in them, where they behaved like I thought they'd behave. They come at you like fucking Quicksilver, out of the darkness, screaming at you down hallways and stuff. It's scary. You know, from the roof and from the rafters and stuff like that. And then they made Aliens vs. Predator 2, where, excuse me, the aliens became kind of floor-based, kind of run towards you. (laughs) And then they made AVP... The recent one that was on the consoles, or or as well, and it's like, oh my God, it's just the same game, <laughs> like mm. same game again and yeah. again and yeah. again. Um, but how many just... developers do do that? I mean, look, 
these like Assassin's Creed, we always bring it up Assassin's yeah, Creed. That's it's just problem. you know they're quite happy to release like several on a console. But Assassin's Creed One was an innovative. It was, it was. Yeah. and it was actually uh, criticised for that. And it was. A lot of people said it was. It's got uh, problems, but it's well. The first Assassin's Creed has a lot of problems. Yeah, Assassin's Creed Two is perfect. Oh. It's 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 the perfect blend of the concept that Assassin's Creed 1 was doing. And 1 has a lot of problems. Oh yeah. my god. I mean it's I was boring glad. parts of that game. Yeah, so I, many I was boring so parts. I'm so glad that Assassin's Creed 2 exists. Mm. Everything else after that, I bought mm. and played purely because I just kind of wanted to see what would happen with yeah. the story. And Black then it got flag to is a little Assassin's no. Creed 3 sucked. Yeah. Um, Assassin's Creed 4 was right. And it's a little sprinkle of interest, a little sprinkle. But we're now nine, almost ten games mm. down the line. You know what I'm unhappy about, though? What? You know what I'm so unhappy about? You're, no one's going to care, except for me. Right, there is this game <clears throat> called Prince of Persia. <laughs> and it came out in 2008. Yeah. And, oh my god, I love that game so much. <laughs> it's so good. Well, is that the reboot? No the... one cares about it except for, like, four people. Well, my I still people. say that Prince of Persia, The Sands of Time, yes. is one of the best examples of innovation. See, yeah. I because it added that. something to a core uh, third-person platforming experience, which was the ability to manipulate time. Oh. And you know, sort of do over, and also and the, the sort of parkouriness of it, running on walls yeah. and all that kind of stuff, which was used loads of times later. Like yeah, stuff like Ninja Gaiden and, and Assassin's Creed. Yeah. Yeah. You know, as a case in point. What? So sometimes innovation can spawn good things. Yeah, of course. And you can yeah. get good, enjoyable games. I think the thing is, though, that it's very easy to paint the whole industry with the same brush mm. and say that it is a big, you know, business fueled empire where you have like I said people pressuring developers to put their innovation aside and just get something out Mm -hmm. and actually when you brought up indie that was what I was going to say as the it's the last it feels to me sometimes as the last bastion of innovation but it's not because one of my favorite games ever is PT which is just a playable playable trees Playable, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's the playable teaser for Silent Hills, the cancelled game that will happen. never happen. But it, as horror, as and its use of innovative horror mechanisms, is is in my opinion more innovative than a lot of stuff out there. And it was just a playable teaser. It is tried it innovative new, though? yeah, because like it tries it's it's new ways. It's the first time that. Kind of the cinematic stuff you see that scares you on films, in horror films, like Japanese horror films, was used in a first-person experience on a gaming console, proper. Really? I was thinking Fatal Frame did that years ago. But Fatal Frame was never first-person. No. Uh, Crimson Butterfly, the version that appeared on the Xbox, had a first-person version added to it in its director's cut. What about Amnesia? Uh... Amnesia did first-person horror. Um, yeah, I'm talking more about the mechanisms. The PT is a very tightly controlled... Everything you see happens linear. linear. Whereas Amnesia's horror comes from being stalked. Not seeing your enemy. Whereas PT comes from planned, tightly controlled horror. Kind of on a rail. See, that doesn't feel very innovative to me. And that's not a bad thing. Because when I say not being innovative doesn't necessarily mean a bad thing. Because if you're doing something well, regardless of whether it's innovative or not, I think that's that's worthy of praise. Like, 
like Mass Effect 2, for example, is my favourite game of all time. And that's just following off a very similar formula that Bio have been doing for years. Not a problem. Yeah, I mean, but, but to be quite <laughs> honest, no one's going to say... I mean, the only thing that's innovative about Mass Effect is the story. Yeah, mm. which um, is what, you know... <clears throat> that's The Mass story Effect. has innovation and good twists. Well, but and... then again, the story just takes a lot of cues from sci-fi fiction in general. And it's not really that innovative. And it's not like Bioware's brand of you talking to your teammates and learning your characters for that is very innovative either, because they've been doing it since... What, Knights of the Old Republic? Well, is this the problem? That it's just... We've seen it all. We've seen it all. And, like, the seen days everything. when... But you haven't, yes. because the point is... Well, but back in, you know, the 90s, we had, you know, we jumped from 2D to 3D. And in that... Well, first of all, we had the innovations of 2D, but then when well, we had... this graphics jump, comparison. The, no, the, <laughs> you know, the N64 and the original PlayStation, okay? <laughs> yeah. You know, so many innovative us. ideas <clears throat> came out during that time... Because it was all new. Super Mario uh, Mario 64 is one of the most innovative games of all time. It was the first 3D space game. The first game to have like proper analogue controls where you move character in 3D mm. space. And it just nailed it. It just absolutely nailed it. And it set a template for, you know, to this day. Arguably, nailing it is questionable. But within its own time frame, yes. Well, yeah, of course you can improve now, on it. But, but, as far as a concept, it just it got everything right. Goldeneye is another innovator. It's an innovator in terms of like a, yeah, a console shooter, definitely. But I don't think innovation stopped there. I refuse to believe that. No, it didn't that. stop there, but by the point we're getting to now, it's like everything references something else. It's all. It's it's much harder to find like so brand new. So everything else. No, but like, back, back in the nineties, it it was a bit more of like a wild west atmosphere where you could just make different games. It felt like every big game was something completely different, completely different genre. You had shooters and racers and no, beat 'em ups and you know whatever else. And now it's had, like oh, it's a first person shooter. Oh, it's a first person shooter. Oh, it's a first person shooter. You had instances of like a hundred billion fucking platformer icons yeah. as well but that though. was off the back of the Super Mario 64 innovation that's the problem they've not really trying that to been going it. on since the Mega Drive slash well, they're the 2D era, platformers yeah but they were all coming off the back of the original Super Mario Brothers which was another like incredibly innovative game but it was these, it, thing, these things are still carrying on you you will have you but at the time, copies. that was revolutionary. That was at the time, Super Mario Brothers, when no, it came out. I'm not out, saying it's not. Everything before that, games were all limited to like one screen. They were like, you know, like the Donkey Kong arcade and stuff like that, or just any kind of Atari based game like Pac Man and stuff. Super Mario was like, hang on, level design. Your character can move. The, you know, the joys of momentum and jumping and like all this stuff. It was just completely revolutionary. I'm not saying so, it's not revolutionary. I'm just saying you will always have at one point. Something that is there, harder, and though, something is that point. is innovative. You, I agree, but it's, it's, it becomes harder, and we see less of it because you know it's the same with anything. It's like music, or yeah, yeah. you know, it just eventually gets to the point. It's like well, it's kind of all been done now. Is, I think you just have to look harder for it. I don't necessarily yeah. think it's not there. As I said, the, the yeah. part of the problem is the, the sort of bloated so video games now. industry. The money that goes into it, developers feel the need to play it safe because the the money riding on these things. You know, it, it's just, it really is make or break. And, you know, we're seeing, like, studios close, big studios, 
because it's just such a cutthroat mark out there. And nowadays, so much is based on Metacritic scores. And that is definitely a big part of the problem. I wouldn't say that. Because we've said, you've, you, you just said, like, the Assassin's Creed didn't, um, like, had a lot of criticisms aimed at it. Mm. But really, I think, like, innovative games should be almost, like, given a bit of a leash. Like, they should, they should be... Uh, praise for their innovation whereas so often it's the opposite people are so quick to jump on uh, the criticism like with Star Fox Zero it happened to Wonderful 101 it happened to Zombie U really like innovative ideas and Zombie, Zombie U is not innovative it's incredibly innovative no it's really not it's, name me another name me another um, a game that, a na- that makes you use makes use of two screens when you go into that game... But you've been doing that in the DS since... No, but like, it's literally separate. Okay, so you're in, in Zombie U. You've got to go and loot something. So it's in first person. You're watching your TV on the th- on your screen. It's just your map. It's like a radar, right? When you go and loot that um, bin or whatever, there could be zombies around. You've, you sort of look around. When you loot the bin, your view has to switch to the gamepad because that's where the, um, the inventory management is, Okay. It, it pans out slightly to, to give you a third-person, top-down, very claustrophobic view. You can't see anything around you. You've got no peripheral vision because it's making you rummage. You're rummaging like, like you would be if you were in a zombie apocalypse and you've got to suddenly can't look around you. Well, I've got to look for this bag for supplies. Zombies can creep up on you. Yeah, but that kind of feeling has been there since... That's like never Resident been done. Evil. That has never been done. Yes. The whole idea fe- of... The feeling of it has been done. But the execution's never been done because it's never been able to be done because there was never the Wii U gamepad to be able to do it with. It was, my point is, is it had loads of new ideas in that game. It had, um, you know, characters that had permadeath. I guess that's not There's been new. permadeath for All right, years. but in this, maybe in this genre, <laughs> Tom and Dan are playing uh, Norse and Cross. <laughs> anyway, my point is that that game, again, had mixed reviews. Like, some people loved the idea of it. Some people hated it and they didn't get it. Um, because it's whether you actually enjoy it that counts, not necessarily I, it's I kind of agree, but so, some people just go into games expecting to see exactly what they've seen before. So a lot of people had a criticism with Zombie U with the controls, because they were like clunky and slow, right? Yeah. However, I see it as a game design choice. It, you are in a zombie apocalypse, you're some guy. In that game, you're not Super Soldier, or you, you know, you're not in the armed forces, you're not Master Chief. You are it literally procedurally generates you a character at the start. Say yeah. like Joe Bloggs works in IT. Yeah. You're just some random survivor. You're armed with a cricket bat, not yeah. something that's. It's not yeah. dead. The point is, it's not like um, Dead Island or what's Dead Rising, a game where you're just like mowing through uh, zombies. Dead it's Island. one where every zombie is terrifying because you've literally got to fend for yeah. your life. Yeah, but Dead Island arguably has elements of that though. Possibly, I don't know. Yeah, I played it. <laughs> yeah. Maybe you're Dead not invincible in that game. Like Left 4 Dead then, or something like that. But my point is that some people some people get it and they say, I like what they've tried to do there. Some people go, oh, controls are shit. They're shit. Well, I can't run around like a can in Left 4 Dead. I can't run around like a can in Dead Rising, it, therefore it's shit. If Left- they're saying, if this, number one, if they're saying, I can't do it like I do in Left 4 Dead, why are you playing this game? Left 4 Dead is yeah, a reviewing zombie game. I agree. As a consumers, we have the right to do that. We have the right to just say, you know, this is yeah, for me. Yeah, yeah, I think right. as a reviewer, though, you have to, you should be impartial. And the problem is, so many aren't. They don't take a step back and say, I like what they've sort of. I see that they're trying to do something different here. I'm. That's interesting. Instead, it gets lower. It gets like a mixed rating, lower rating, whatever. Yeah, because the they Metacritic scores it. are low. 
The yeah. Metacritic scores are so important nowadays. They're all based on like bonuses and whether a game gets sequels, all based on like Metac- Metacritic See, I would scores. argue completely against that because I really don't think the, the big publishers give a shit about Metacritic. Oh, they do. They get bonuses for them. I know. I think, I think it's all about sales. You... It's not about... But the sales come from reception. Metacritic. Have you seen how rabid like people get about scores? You were, we were saying in the news earlier. The Uncharted the, 4 thing. People are yeah. freaking out because someone gave Uncharted. Yeah. It's because people don't read reviews. They it's look the at the score at the end get of upset. it. They go, bang, oh, this only got seven. That's bullshit. And, and nowadays, you know, a seven is awful. It's like... Yeah, but that, not going to buy that's, that. That's shit. That is the fault of the community, <clears throat> not the developers. It's full of putting the, a score on <laughs> anything. Yeah, the publishers do not give a shit what score they get. Because as long as they sell the copies, it doesn't matter. But the they do want to care. rile up people the community buy, to support them. The, people don't buy games with bad reviews. Or they yes, sell they do. way less copies. <laughs> they do buy games it with bad reviews. It depends if they've managed to like, hold just like, off the reviews. Well, see, ironically, like I'd also go... say that Uncharted 4 is probably one of the most lacking in innovation mm. games ever, and yet it has great humongously reviews. great reviews. Because it's what people... And I've, I've read them all. Because well, I've read most they of them. enjoy it. Well, they enjoy it, but it doesn't do anything new. What does it, what does it do? It. Yeah. But, but at the same time, what does it do that Uncharted 3 but didn't do? Or Uncharted 2 didn't do? Or Uncharted didn't do? If they enjoy it, then what's but the part, matter? Part of the problem but this is... Isn't, this isn't the discussion. It's more about innovation. It's but I would rather have a good game than an image game that's bad. Well, absolutely. But the point is, has the industry lost But we wouldn't have had some of these amazing games had it not been for innovations that have come before that have, you know, fallen victim to yeah, these kind of critical scores and reason, people shitting on them. The Dying reason why we have these games is because those games did innovation well, so therefore they're continuing to do the innovation because it, it did well. But this is the problem. My, my worry is that we're... Um, we're what's the word like containing uh, stifling creativity and innovation by putting so much importance because mm. developers are too scared to take risks because they're like Halo people, people are going to very... have a mixed reaction to this new idea Halo not everyone's going to like Halo it Halo 5 is a very good example of a new publisher with their second game in mm. a franchise they've taken over from a very successful publishing house um, and playing it so safe that what they create is a is is woeful, is woeful. But, but that's bad. But it sold fantastically. Yeah, of course. But it, the thing is, right? It sold fantastically regardless of whether it was good mm. to you or not. Right? My opinion is that there should not be innovation for innovation's sake. Mm. Innovation should complement a game, just like how. For example, one of the big criticisms a lot of PS Vita games mm. is the fact that they try and shove in the touch control with the touchpad and the touchpad mm. on the back and, ooh, look at this, shit game. Mm. Yeah. If you have, like, a game where you have, like, icons where you can press things mm-hmm. and stuff, you're using the motion controls, stuff like that, using the, the shake and then the touch... But it works with the game. Yeah. The trouble is that those kinds of innovations are always a risk. There's no knowing whether people are going to like it or not. And that's so the when risk the developers with releasing make any it, game. This, no, but that's the... the point, is that for developers, there's no way of them knowing whether it's going to be any good. So they have to kind of put things out there. It's not always going to be well received. 
sometimes you're going to you, release something I think you can that you've have tried a... with good intentions to make something can... new and different, but people hate it. I think you but can at have... least they've tried because then they, you know then we get the really good innovations because then they might spark a different idea and go, hang on a minute, we've been doing it wrong. We should have done it like this, or you get feedback from people. But the point is, at least if someone's trying to do something different, you know they can at least build on it. Or, and there's a good chance, you know, or a chance that we'll get, you know, something really new and exciting out of it. But I think you can... I think even the most, like, uh, I don't know, unaffected or, like, idiotic person could understand if they play a game and it plays, like, ass, even <laughs> though it might be innovative, <laughs> but the, it's still not good. The first time I played a first-person shooter on a console... I could not aim for the fucking life of me, despite the fact that that's kind of the, the basis of all modern shooters now. You know, yeah, that I was like looking up at the ceiling, though. I was looking at the floor, at I was looking point, everywhere but the fucking. Yeah, I was trying at that to point, shoot. you had nothing to compare. But it to, had though. I have developed an opinion there and then and said, this is unplayable as shit, just give me like Goldeneye controls again because I can't use this. There's, I, th- I think there's a correlation, I think, between. Innovation and then perfecting on the innovation. Now, you're discussing Mass Effect 2, and what makes Mass Effect 2 so good is that it's not an original idea, but at some point it was an original idea, and it's taken several other games to get to the pinnacle of what would be an amazing game thanks to this original innovation. And I'd say the same, and this won't go down like a sack of shit, I'd say the same about uh, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 1. I think that was the pinnacle of the games. It's been shit ever since then. And the point was, at some point, that was actually an original idea. Probably not from Call of Duty, but it was still an original idea. And that was the game that I think perfected that original idea. Yeah, I'm not suggesting... I do not think that series should go on and on and on. Hmm. I really don't. I think there should be a stopping point. Just like any great television series, there should be a point where they should know when to stop. Hmm. Uh, some game series have gone way past that. I don't know enough about COD, but I get general feeling that people are sick of it, especially considering so the latest that's, Infinity. That's the two pints of lager and a packet of crisps of the gaming world, yeah. in my opinion. It's the one that was really outstanding as well. But at one point, it wasn't. At one point, Modern it was. Warfare 1, like yeah. you said. I mean, I, I would probably say that Call of Duty 2, the one with that's the, the Russian more of, yeah, was... Yeah was really good no, no, but that no, wasn't no, no, innovative no. yeah it was it what it did was it it properly it properly credited its cinematic roots and it went yeah. we're trying to create a war film that people can play yeah and it did it very well uh, modern... it had a strong vision that it successfully yeah but and that that was an innovative approach because the, the previous the first call of duty literally tried to with painstaking historical accuracy mm put you in positions in like proper military actions and actually it kind of came to the conclusion in the next in the next one that while it was very good to be the a member of the British airborne um, unit that took Pegasus Bridge actually while it was you know it's quite an exciting oh I, I was there I know you know you kind of feel like oh I was there it was actually rather a boring, boring battle. yeah Hmm. Um, so what they did is in the second one was go we need to make this big and bombastic you know enemy the gates had just come out in the cinema they had that fantastic scene where they're riding in the boats across the Volga to Stalingrad the Russian troops you know one guy gets handed a rifle the next guy gets handed five bullets the idea being that (laughs) he's meant to pick up the gun of the guy when when he dies in front of him so that he can carry Mm. and they, they had you in that thing and you kind of felt like Jesus Christ I've got no fucking gun like what you know it totally takes away that kind of safety from you and, and made you feel like you were kind of part of the film. And it was, 
you know, it was clever and innovative and things like that. But then Call of Duty 3 was a rehash, put you in a very, again, a very boring part of the war. Call of Duty, modern, well, Call of Duty, Duty 4 Modern Warfare yeah. was the one that suddenly went, right, graphics now look pretty real. Yeah. Let's make something that echoes all the stuff that you know, on the one excuse me on the one hand you had the gung-ho American campaign yeah. on the other side you had the shadowy British SAS campaign and they sort of were you could see them rolling around they had that excellent mission in Pripyat which was yeah. you know the one where you're crawling through just like straight out of a movie like you know you just felt like they nailed it and then everything after that has has been trying to emulate that success and yeah. the problem is actually is it, it's got so self-referential and so self-deferential as well mm. that it's always trying to tip the hat and it's always trying to get back. But every time it tries to... The further it gets down the line mm. of games, the, the yeah. harder it is to get back. And actually what they've done is now... You made that joke in the car by saying that actually what they do when they get down is there's one big idea and they've just written underneath should we go further into the future? Question yeah. mark. That's, that's their big idea at the moment. And yeah. fuck me, people have done it already. Yeah. Give it a rest. Let the let the let, let it breathe for yeah. a bit. Call of Duty's dead. No, mm. what I what I say there is what I say there is they shouldn't be innovating. They should just be stopping. Yeah. Mm. Just don't. Well, like this... if you if you just like go, oh, we're gonna series, we're gonna innovate it, and it might work. But I can bet you it won't. They've got nothing. Because no, no, I can you're guarantee just they trying to shove things in somewhere where it just doesn't fit. So just end that series, start a new IP. Yeah. Oh, sorry. It's sad because, you know, say, all right, for instance, my company makes plastic bottles, which they don't, but they make plastic bottles. And this is what they do all the time. And they go, we've just brought out a new plastic bottle. And people go, well, does it hold liquid? And they go, yep. Is That's it made of plastic? Yep. yep. And it's like, okay, so what's innovative about it? And they go, well, it's a slightly lighter plastic and it's got a slightly easier to pull off top and you can, you know, you can hold other things in it. You don't just have to hold yeah. water in it. That, That's good That innovation. is what passes yeah. for innovation They don't want to suddenly go... Oh, we've animated the new bottle. It's shaped like a square, but I but and again, it's got a hole in the bottom, so you can I, drink it from I, the bottom. I would, I would, yeah, exactly. I would, I would always argue until I'm blue in the face that these people who always go, we want our customers to be surprised and delighted by the innovations that we bring to the market, mm. and I sit there going, how on earth am I supposed to market this? Because this isn't innovative. This isn't a replacement for stuff that's gone before. This is just the next version of something that we already have sitting in our house. Yeah, but you're not going to like say end the plastic bottles because the plastic bottles work. Well, they do, and this is the problem: is that Hang we on, have got. Still doing the pun. Yeah, All right. is that we have got we have gotten <laughs> so comfortable. And not, not we. I'm saying we as a people, we as game consumers, and we as part of the gaming industry because we are. We're the most important part of the gaming. With people who actually buy the fucking things, and most of the time we end up buying the games that we rail against for being boring because they're the same old shit. I don't. <laughs> I do because I play. I've, I mean, last last time I played, um, I, I've been disappointed because Halo Five is part of a franchise that I love. Halo Four was crap. I should have seen it coming that Halo Five was going to be crap as well. Metal Gear Solid Five might stand as one of the exceptions to the rules. The Metal Gear Solid games up to that point had gotten crap. Metal Gear Solid 5 tried something Whoa. innovative. Whoa. Whoa. 
They had gotten Which very... ones? Metal Gear Solid 4, Sons of the Patriots. Yeah, not played that one. Right, okay, so... You're off the hook. Right. <laughs> so, had, got, it's had disappeared... Yeah, as so not Snake Eater! Had, had disappeared exactly. so far up its ass with the amount of cutscenes yeah, and stuff in there that it was, it was, it was absolutely pointless. Mm. So, Metal Gear Solid 5 comes out, and it looks like a revelation next to what's gone before. But it's not. It's just an open world. It's an mm. open world that plonks you in the middle of it, like so many other games do these days yeah. anyway. Um, what am I going for now? I'm on a roll here. Oh, well, I was on a roll. <laughs> Metal, Metal Gear, Gear you said Halo. Halo. So I went for Halo Metal 5. Gear. Metal Gear Solid 5. Uh, so Uncharted 4. It does nothing beyond mm. rehashing another story that fucking Nicolas Cage has probably been in a film in the National Treasure series that probably has the same sort of story. Mm. Um, it's, there's nothing to it. It's a hackneyed plot. It's just... Uh, people are giving it massive reviews because it looks good. Tom. Because the story is... You were just talking my language. Yeah. <laughs> we're like two sides of the same coin. But it's, yeah. But, but what I'm saying is that we, we've found ourselves in, in a situation where we are more than happy just to accept the table scraps that these people people are throwing us no. <laughs> and we and we buy them and we we continue to buy them and they, the problem is that we don't but ever, don't we don't ever but if you enjoy we don't those table protest. scraps yeah, what's the problem that's the thing because if people enjoy those table scraps but what's they, the problem but they don't I know but they what, do I know and what, they do no, enjoy no, they the don't. table scraps I enjoy the, the table point, scraps the point I'm getting laboriously to is that while we don't enjoy the table scraps when we play them, there is still that part of us that when we walk into that shop, when we've seen all the trailers and we've seen all the concept shots, that hopes, 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 hopes that it's going to be something good and something different. And the problem but is, they don't. Because I don't want Uncharted Four to be do. like like suddenly it's now a racing game, guys. But We've I suddenly thrown all something. that stuff out I just, that you love. I want I want to watch an Indiana Jones Indiana <laughs> Indiana. <laughs> I want to watch an Indiana Jones film. I want to watch Indiana Jones Five and think it's it's back. Someone listened and someone someone didn't try to just write. You know, because because but but Indiana Jones, Indiana Jones 4, four. The reason why it's panned so much is because it's different from the others. No, no it's, it's because it's, it tries too it tries hard to too be hard the same. to get back. And, oh, yeah. and it, what it tries to do as well is it tries to pull in what was in the zeitgeist at the time, which was the alien conspiracies mm-hmm. and the crystal skulls of the Amazon, uh, or sorry, the Incas, I think it was, or something like that. And it, and it sort of sandwiched it into yeah. the plot. For no real reason whatsoever. But you could say the same about Star Wars, though. Yeah. Star Wars we did, did say the same. Star Wars, Wars did nothing we about original. It. We did. We did. We all said it. it's disappointing. All, it was but the, we all it was enjoyed it. the best it, disappointing film we'd ever seen. Yeah. The best disappointing film that we And we'll all go see him again. And you'll buy Halo 6 when that comes out. I will. Uh, no, that's what I'm saying. But but this, no, no, but I'm but not, I'm, problem, I'm not holding it? myself up it's as a not, shiny example. Like I said, I go into those shops every time before I buy them. And there is part of me that just hopes... That there, there is just something, something different about it. That someone has decided to go. Do you know what? I'm not just going to churn out the same old crap. I'm going to try something, even if it's just a level or two levels or something. That just try something but different from the formula. From what I can before. tell, the reviews I've heard on Uncharted Four for is this doing something slightly different? Is that in the previous Uncharted games? There's the with the combat. There's this feeling, and I like the Uncharted games. I'm not a massive defender of them, but I'm enjoying them. Mm. But there is a problem with the Uncharted games that their combat by free starts to get to the point where it is hackneyed. Hmm. And there is a problem with it being the fact that you get waves of enemies and it gets kind of exhausting. 
and you're like, okay, all I'm doing here is to shoot out, shoot out, shoot out. I actually enjoy the platforming puzzle elements far more. Hmm. Um, maybe that's because I'm playing them one after the other. But from what I tell of Uncharted 4, is that Naughty Dog have learned from their uh, Last of Us, which is a amazing game. Uh, and they've actually implemented quite a few stealth elements into Uncharted Again, 4. Probably not the most innovative games ever. No, but they've taken some of the things they've learned that mm. people enjoy from their last game, Last of Us, and they've implemented it into their new game, Uncharted mm. 4, in an effort to try and spice up the combat. <laughs> new game! I think, yeah. New think... ideas! Mm. So I think improving it. Keeping it keeping it style. But again, I, I would argue that that is probably what you termed earlier innovation for innovation's sake. No, I don't think this not, was a moment where, where they went. The combat. Hang on a minute. No, I just that's that, the only way that sounds like it's improving the combat is by not having combat. Um, no, because <laughs> so, they're including. They've got improved including the combat by not having to combat. They're including stealth within the combat. The original thief games. Basically, what you can do is you can, uh, while you're in combat, you can, um, if you're feeling like you're being overcrowded, which happens quite a lot in previous Uncharted games. So it's the bitch button. It's that I'm a pussy, (laughs) (laughs) therefore I'm I'm hiding now. No, I'm out out of it. It's strategy. (laughs) (laughs) You can break away, (laughs) and then when you feel like you're in a better position. Like a location, yeah. Or you've gathered more ammo, yeah. You can go back into a frame, See, or this, you can take people out. This is like or... opening up a Murdoch paper and reading a review of something that 20th Century Fox has made, because they're always going to get good reviews because Murdoch owns them as well. You know, it's like mm. it's. Uh, I, this I, is apparently part of the problem as well that we talked about with like sites like Gamespot and yeah IGN, where they're getting paid to give. Really? Big AAA games, that? good reviews. I don't think yeah. anyone's getting I mean, paid. I think hey, it's I used to work in trade publishing. Uh, I was the editor of a magazine. Let me tell you, there was never a chance in hell that we would ever write anything bad about someone that was advertising with us because that is our lifeblood. Mm. And GameSpot and all those magazines are no different. And Vogue would never, ever, ever consciously slack off So you're saying all of these people giving good reviews have been paid off? I'm not saying they've been paid no, off, but, they can but bump there, up there is the, a general um, understanding. Yeah. Vogue's not going to piss off Chanel. Vogue's not going to piss off anyone that advertises with them. The broadsheets are the only ones that get away with it because they have a national mandate to report national news. But the amount of stories that aren't covered in papers when it might piss off one of the investors in a broadsheet... And what has that got to do with what we're talking about right now? Because it's because basically the, the same is, thing. It's not about being paid off. It's about a general understanding. Is that I would imagine that some of these reviewers have got free games from these publishers in the mm. past. If they do a negative review, they might not get Week, games. Weekend, so you're um, saying not, that everyone's you know, reviewed Uncharted 4 has been certain sites... No, no, I didn't say that I, at I all. I think Uncharted 4 is just a good game. I think is is the point with that. I haven't I think played that, it, so I can't tell you. But I think but I'm going to get it. Mm. But I think this. No, I'm not. I'm not suggesting for a moment that people have been paid off or anything like that. What I'm saying is that I, I have a feeling that positive reviews, especially from the Metacritic side of you, which mm. takes into account far more websites than just the big ones, mm. takes up every almost every single one. There is a general understanding in publishing and and, um, with broadcast media when it comes to 
you know, if someone, if, if, if I'm not talking about you're getting a free game, I'm just thinking that you benefit from doing review. If like, if you're, I don't know, say you're a YouTube reviewer, you benefit from being able to review the latest games because mm. you get better traffic figures. So if a big publisher, a game publisher says, would you like to review one of my games? You go, great. If yeah. they say to you, would you like to review one of my games? Um, you know, uh, and if we like what you do with the review and stuff like that, not saying if you give us a positive review or something, if we like what you do, yeah. um, we'd like you to review other games that yeah. we've got in our mm. thing as well. You go, this is great because I'm going to get these new games. People are going to come onto YouTube. They're going to look for my videos. They might just Google the game and, you know, say, go, you know, they might just search for the game, put review afterwards. Bing, my traffic yeah. figures are spiking. I don't want anything to negatively affect that. So if I think something mm. is really crap, I may not necessarily say it's as crap as but I think it is because if, if you're it's a mutual pressured, beneficial... If you're being pressured by publishers... But they're not going to pressure you that much. If, okay, at the end if of the day, you're if feeling you give a bad like, review, they just won't work with you. And if, yeah, you're, then, if you're feeling like... Well, it took Kotaku, didn't it? If, yeah. if you're feeling like if you don't give a game a good review you're not going to be able to work with them again. You're in the wrong business. That's but there opinion. are countless examples of people giving bad reviews. Probably and you won't be having... in the business anymore. My idea is why bother doing it if you're just going to... If you, if you believe the game is bad, you have every right to say so. And if they don't like it, there is a reason then that's... Why... Then ben, that's then then you're just going to have to try and find another way exactly. of getting there, there is a reason why Ben Croshaw, um, the guy that writes and creates Zero Punctuation, yeah. buys his own games to review mm. because most big publishers yeah. don't want to give them to him, despite well, the fact that he is one of the most popular reviewers. Was and it? actually, he doesn't he doesn't turn people off buying games. It's just funny and entertaining. But yeah. yet, still, people won't necessarily give him the game. Sometimes he'll get things through the escapist, but a lot of the times he says, well, I went out and bought this yeah, because no that, one wanted to give it to me. That's the that's a problem with the publishers trying to control their market Bingo. and criticism, yeah. not the people but this who happens. are reviewing the games. No, but this is the point, is that the developers are controlling. Um, well, then that's that's just corruption within... Yeah, but, itself, but it? that's capitalism for you as well. And that's just capitalism. That is money makes the world go round, and I know it sounds like a really twee phrase, but it does. And sadly, we're all slaves to it in some way or another. And I don't think game reviews are any. Well, I'm hoping to be a game journalist at some point, so hopefully. <laughs> I think um, I think a lot of it's subconscious as well. It's the same way that the bloggers get sent to like test the latest makeup, and they'll they'll go to test it, and then they'll take pictures of mm. themselves testing this the latest makeup and they'll get a goodie bag for free and they'll say what was in the goodie bag and before you know it you've got a five minute YouTube video on all this wonderful stuff I got given for free mm. with names brandished all over the place and it's the same when, when games are reviewed to a certain extent I'd imagine when people get early access to yeah, one of the top games. Have you seen some of these, the excess at some of these like preview events where yeah. they, a bunch of games journalists all go off to like LA or something yeah. Yeah. and they're treated to like big dinner yeah. and like a party and you know, it's all buttering them up. And, and if, you don't, if you don't say, want If you want to get invited to another one of these, you have know, a, have yeah. a you give us a good review. I don't even think it's that intentional. I think it's much more subconscious. I think it's... Subconscious, from, not from the developer's point of view, it's not. not from the, no, 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 no. money on making these reviewers happy. Not so that from they, the developer's point of view, but from the reviewer's point of view. Just, well, they're just people. They're just saying, like, yeah, I want a free trip to LA. Where I, get, I, like, I don't even think it's... paid and, like, I get a free game. Yeah, brilliant. I don't even think it's that cynical. I think it's a case of... 
if I can get footage of the latest Call of Duty uh, before anyone else can, more people are going to come to my site. So to do that, I have to kind of play along to a certain extent. Well, but just as cynical. In my mind, if you're doing that, then you're just you're just basically sacrificing journalism for the sake of now you're advertising. But how many journalists do you think actually work at IGN anymore? I have no idea. Probably my my perception of what a journalist is mm. and what other people think a journalist is is different. If you start letting those sort of things affect your opinions, you're pretty much just advertising now. Yeah. And I I personally wouldn't let that... Well, this is a problem. If you work, say if you work for IGN, to... you have to represent them. Yeah. yeah. They, they will not let you piss off a game developer. Well, then don't work for IGN. This is the problem. It's so if you're happy, working, you work for yourself and if you're you're happy working for IGN, go ahead. But if you actually want to be a games journalist and they're making you do that, then don't work for IGN. And so I used to be a journalist. Uh, that's what I trained to be. Um, and I worked for probably eight years as a journalist, both freelance and for trade titles and uh, some game sites and stuff. Um, and on the stuff I was doing for freelance, it was very easy to be objective. Uh, very easy to be objective because I was doing it for my own sake. It was only my name that was at stake. And to be fair, anyone who wanted or didn't want my work could put my name on it if they wanted to or they could just deny that yeah. I was anything to do with it. When you work for a big publishing house or even a big site, you take something like Vice, for instance. Um, Vice have come under massive scrutiny at the moment for the amount of people they've laid off. Um, none of them are, are journalists anymore. And in fact, a lot of the sites these days actually have what they call content pigs, mm. who are people who are just paid to put stuff together just whatever uh, and stick it up some of it's clickbait some of it's actual kind of stuff that gets yeah, lost and if you're happy working in that that's, that's then fine Sadly, if you're happy working it those are the places that you find most of the people these days hmm. okay um, they own they have very small very small kind of executive staffs who run you know sort of I'm, I'm like yeah. a bunch of banks of people um, and they don't it's really sad, to be honest, because it is. It's like kind of the death of journalism. Really, that's not to me. That's not journalism. No, not at all. No, but it's what. It's how it is. Yeah. It's not. It's not. But not every. It's not, really not every journalism. single journalist outlet is that, and that's why you no, have. No. That's why you have so many people going solo now as well. Yeah, it's, it's where relying on their audience for their corner of the internet. Yeah. And it's where that's people, it. And this is the point: is the corner of the internet. Yeah. It's not. Which can grow. It can. It can. And, and hopefully it will do. Mm. And I really hope it does because, um, I mean, the reason I got out freelancing is because there's just no money anymore. No one wants people with their own thoughts at the moment. But they will do sometime and eventually it will come around again. That's why people like Zero Punctuation are so popular because they are kind of sticking it to the system. They, they are, you know, he is kind of sticking it to the man and fighting the good fight that we all wish we could fight. But sadly, we're not necessarily going to get the traction. You know, James Gurnalist is a is a representative of this sort of thing in the sense that he's just this guy on a soapbox arguing his corner yeah. that pretty much no one is listening to, um, which is what's so endearing mm. about him, you know, from what I've heard. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I love that, Bernard. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> but, the, but the problem is that not enough of us are going to get listened to. We've got a little blog, which probably doesn't get read anywhere near as much as yours does. Um, but it's our little corner of the internet where we're talking yeah. about the stuff that we think is kind of interesting. And if you're happy with that... And even that's not journalism. You that's... Know, it's just it's just three guys writing articles about stuff that they enjoy. That's to me. That's journalism. Well, but true journalism was more about reporting. You know, they say that the the true essence of journalism is holding a mirror up to the world and reflecting it back at the reader. Now, the whole problem with that is that unfortunately, your mirror can be skewed in whatever way you want. But it to I don't be. believe anyone can be objective anyway. No one can. It's all opinion. Objectivity doesn't exist. Do you, know, do you know what people with their own opinions do nowadays? Do podcasts. They do podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> Just wanted to do that. Oh, see, these last ones, they always do this, don't they? Yeah. They, they, they go one of two ways. It either goes really well, or we all get really pissed off with each other. <laughs> I enjoy this. I, know, I like no, it. So do I, but it's just like, it's always... I'm it's, not pissed off at anyone. These last no, ones no, 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 can no, go... No, no, in, like in general. I get I I just get annoyed by the state of everything really because <laughs> yeah. I'm at that age in my it's life I get, old, I get annoyed at everything. I cast about. I look at the papers and I see I see what's happening. I see when. So you know, I maybe shouldn't mention things by name because that might make us legally vulnerable. Yeah, that's true. I, I, I do see certain broadsheets not reporting news that I know for a fact is because their shareholder is a certain person who doesn't want that story out. But all the other papers are covering it. You see, I'm I'm at an age where I see all... All I see is hope and white light. Well, don't worry. <laughs> age will dash will that. crush <laughs> me. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm over 30, obviously. Um, uh. You know. See, I'm right under under that delicious that delicious thirty mile. <laughs> is it going to sicken me if you tell me how far? <laughs> Quite a bit, possibly. Yeah. yeah. How old are you? Twenty one. You're twenty one years old. Mm. Jesus Christ! I know. She's... <laughs> like, that's eleven years. <laughs> eleven years. A sprightly young chicken. Absolutely. And yet... No wonder you're so annoying. You're part, you're part, you're part of the problem. Uh, you're young with your music and your video games. And, you know, <laughs> We've been talking about video games. So, you know. Oh, Christ. Oh, no, it's right. It just makes me feel old and cantankerous. Mm. I should go home and smoke some dope or something. <laughs> smoke some of that ganja I hear so, so much yeah, about. Yeah, the kids love. <laughs> the marijuana. Yeah. Yeah. So, I guess in the end... Everyone's happy. Everyone's happy. <laughs> yeah. um, we're all happy feeding from the same shit-filled trough. Sucking that sweet tea. No, 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 no. <laughs> but you know what? Actually, I, I, we were talking about a game earlier. And while Thomas Was Alone may not necessarily be the most innovative platformer we've ever played, or maybe not the most challenging, it is nice and charming mm. that it is charming. I find that the fact that it is charming to be yeah. innovative, because it's a game that went... Here's something we can do. Let's put a lovely, charming narration over the top of this. Have you played Stanley Parable? Yes. Okay. That is innovative. But it is innovative that. through mocking and referencing the yeah. repetitive nature of the games industry at the moment. Yeah. And it does it sublimely well. Mm. It's an incredibly good example of game satire done well. Mm. Sadly, the guy that made Stanley Parable also went on to make another game where he kind of looks at the movie industry. But because the movie industry is now such an even larger 
kind of landscape to take the mickey out of, he kind of misses the mark because games are quite a tight thing to kind yeah. of squeeze yourself into, <laughs> as the actress said to the bishop. Um, yeah, I think he missed the mark with the film side of it. Okay. But Stanley Parable is great. It is really good. It was really good fun to play. But then you've got walking simulators as well. Are those innovative? Is is Gone Home really as innovative as we all make out? No, because it's almost the same as Dear Esther, which came out. No, but it tells a but it tells a good story. But it doesn't tell a good story. But it doesn't tell a good story in a way that was any different to anything that came before. No, but maybe it just does it better. Right. Well, there we go. So the whole point of this. Good games are good games. Bad games are bad games. Bad games are bad games. Rubbish. And actually, all the stuff that comes out nowadays, pretty much everything is complete tripe. No, no, no. There's pretty much everything that comes out is complete tripe. That's sad for me. I'm very happy in my Nintendo bubble. Yeah, I'm happy with what I get to play. Do you know the best? I mean, it's not PT, but one of the best games I've played recently is it PT still? No, no, no. Alien Isolation. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, was a, a, a was a remarkably good um, horror game. Remarkably good horror game, and it wasn't necessarily the most innovative thing. It was just done extremely well. So maybe there is innovation in game mechanic. Maybe there is innovation in game building. Maybe it doesn't necessarily have to be innovative because it does something thing, different. This is the thing. It depends. Maybe. It can start from various places. Sometimes it starts with the hardware, like the Wii Mote. Mm. The Wii U gamepad, and sometimes it starts within you know a game like Stanley Parable. Yeah, and we've done all this without mentioning VR. So well done, everyone. I, all, yeah. I tried to, but I just figured it was too much of a. Worms. We did, we did <laughs> VR, didn't we as well? Yeah, yeah we did. That was very funny. Mm. One of my favourites. <laughs> that is one of my favourites. Yeah. Well, yeah. Complete well, words. Uh, we must nearly be near the end. Well, we're well over. Yeah. Oh really? Excellent. It's fun. Have to do some editing. Yep, chop that down. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, Alex, thank you for joining us. It's been delightful. You enjoyed it? I have enjoyed myself thoroughly. We might get you back at some point. Maybe, if I I haven't banned myself. No, I don't think so. (laughs) No, it's been genuinely nice to have a new dynamic in the room. Mm -hmm. I like to think of myself as that. Not the person who's like... Especially someone who has come in and hasn't been... You know, felt nervous by the sight of a microphone mm. or anything like that. Because you always worry, because you think you bring someone new into the dynamic, are they going to sit down and see the microphone and suddenly go? Mm-hmm. You know, it's been some weird places. Because our first our first <laughs> podcasts were were markedly different from mm. how they are now. Can't yeah. forget the microphones there. But yeah. The first few, I definitely was sitting here, kind of like conscious that the microphone was in front of me, trying to always <laughs> like talk at the microphone rather than just looking at my mates. No, <laughs> I just I can I have an amazing ability to just talk regardless of the situation. Really? Yeah. <laughs> no. Never noticed that. Never noticed that. Um, so, and you've got another podcast starting as well, I believe. I do have a podcast. Yeah. Um, it. Probably isn't going to be a consistent thing. I don't even know if we're going to do it ever again. But uh, me and my friend on my website, Digital Apothecary, um, have recorded a podcast about Zelda. Oh, nice. Yeah. He loves Skyward Sword, whereas mm. I love Twilight Princess. Um, Talk about them. Nice. So, you can you listen millennials, to that. <laughs> you crazy kids <laughs> Pac-Man video games <laughs> let's, let's wrap this up then so once again thanks for joining us um, 
You can hit us up on Facebook, which is facebook.com forward slash TMTOOH. You can hit us up on Twitter, which is at 2MTOOH. You can email us, which is talk to us at TMTOOH.com. And you can visit our site. There should be some stuff going up this week. Yep, we say that every week. <laughs> Sometimes. www.tmtooh.com. <laughs> yep. Okay, so with that, thank you for listening. It's got a load of long ones this week, so we'll probably do 10 minute ones next week. <laughs> just yeah, I'll probably just cut yep. down like where yeah. else yeah. yeah, so that's a lot of editing for me, so cheers, guys. Um, thanks for listening, so bye. 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 News. News. <laughs> <laughs>